You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Please send me a text, 2057, or an email at inbox at realitycheck.radio. Well, I have so many wonderful guests on my show, and I get such a lot of feedback from listeners, so please keep it coming. But one guest knocked it out of the park, and she has a standing invitation that if she's got anything to say, let me know, and we'll put her on immediately. And that, of course, is the very wonderful, the very smart, the amazing, absolutely amazing Kathy Jamieson. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Rodney. I... Didn't know what to make of you when I first had you on my show. I didn't know whether you were a genius or a little bit nutty. Because you were sort of doing you both. You were doing this sort of amazing research and insight. And I thought, how could this be possible? And I had you on the show and you blew me away. Now, I'm not a genius. It's it, I am tenacious. I am well, tenacious. maybe that's it. And I am a, a mother. And, you know, my children were um, coerced to do something that I, I, I didn't want them to do. I really didn't want them to do. And so that was motivation enough for me. Well, remember last interview... We, you provided us with your analysis on the calm reporting and the fact that you'd found three and a half thousand Kiwis on the American Bears reporting system, which gave you batch numbers and dates and times and all sorts of extra information. And it was to me and to listeners an absolute revelation and i I, i'll just i I, it doesn't give you batch numbers oh Um, sorry however there if somebody does want to know their batch number and they didn't get it at the time there is an oia out there which lists down to pharmacy level or vaccination center level what batches went where when So just as a little bit of an aside, if anyone does want to know that and they don't know it, that's how they can find out. Because I thought the the American system had batch numbers on it. It, it, Some of it does, um, but only if um, the reporter has reported it themselves when they um, have made the report. The the American system has it, yeah. But it has the difference, the big difference there, it has the date the person was injected and the date they started getting symptoms and the date they had their major event. Those are the bits that I'm really interested in because that can be studied. So already we're learning stuff. Can I, I can see the wonderful Kathy, but I'm going to ask you to switch your video off because we're just getting a bit of a bleep a lag so there we go now tell me the significance 
of the batch that you got and tell us again how you discover what batch you got if you got jabbed in New Zealand. Well, there is an OIA, and I haven't, I wasn't sort of coming prepared to talk about Sorry. that. So yeah. I might have to, I might have to give you that um, later yeah. so that you can tell people. But there is a an OIA out there that somebody's asked for that says um, by batch number, please show us, you know, what went to each vaccination centre. So it, it'll be down to, you know, Life Pharmacy, you know, somewhere. In. Oh, wow. So, oh, wow. so and, and New Zealand seems to have got quite large batches. So um, it's not a very complicated table. You know, you could look at it. And like I know people that were sort of injected months apart in the in the town that I'm in, and they would have got the same one, the same batch. Great. So they could, if you're stuck and you want it, just email me or text me, and we will sort that out for you. And what's the significance of the batch that you received? Well, because. You know, even even the FDA, when they give their um, give their authorization, seem to be quite concerned about um, scaling up the manufacturing and consistency across the batches. So, for example, you know, people will often say when they're defending the vaccine program, you know, this doesn't have emergency use authorization in the states anymore. It's been given full license yet. But that's not quite, it's not quite as simple as that. Um, com, com, how do you say it? Comrenati has been given full licence, yeah? But the Pfizer vaccine, um, BioNTech vaccine in the States hasn't. Now, the full licence, yeah, product has to have come out of certain manufacturing sites because they must be confident of the... Um, manufacturing process in those places so so different batches seem to be giving people different um you know levels of you know there seem to be certain batches that are associated with more injuries yes and there's a thought that that could be the manufacturing process and then there are manufacturing processes that haven't been given full license so that the it's if you're it is significant which batch you got, and it may explain why some people are fine and others aren't is essentially the point, is it? Okay. That's right. Now I should tell listeners that Kathy sent me through what she's put together as notes. And I was busily reading it. And you think you're beyond shock. <laughs> and I was so shocked that we were running around in our dressing gowns trying to get our kids dressed and out the door so I could do my interview. But it was so shocking that I was having to stop my wife and read the stuff out that you've uncovered and put into order. Are, are you talking about the pieces around transmission or yes, something else? and safety. Well, I'll, I'll read. Shall I read out a few? Of the I would pieces? like you. I would like you to walk us through. 
basically on safety, on why they gave the uh, immunity from prosecution and suit, um, the yeah. transmission, and the dates, and the significance of those dates, please. Can you just walk yeah. us through that? Well, just since we've been talking about transmission and really that that the limitations on the right to remove medical treatment should should hinge on transmission, we'll start with that. So, so the COVID Technical Advisory Group they minuted in February of 2021 that the impact of the vaccine on transmission was unknown. So. So then we jump forward to there is a, an, um, a report dated 19 May of 2021 that um, was done by the COVID Vaccine Technical Advisory Group. And, and that seems to acknowledge that the vaccine doesn't reduce transmission in, in a conventional sense, because what they say is this, the characteristics of the Pfizer-BioNTech-Comirnaty COVID-19 vaccine mean that it cannot be used in the traditional sense of ring vaccination. Now, I read that and I thought, well, what does ring vaccination mean? Is that like a commonly used term? Because I know what it sounds like. Yeah. It's like you can't ring fence an infection or an outbreak by using it as a sort of a, a ring fence, right? And so I, I looked it up, and that's exactly what it means. The date of so, that? Uh, 19, 19 May 2021. Now, was that before the mandates? Yeah, it was a good six months. Because the mandates were November 2021. So nothing changed. There's no report that said, oh, hang on, it does work. They were they knew the government's advisory group knew six months before the mandates came in that the jab didn't reduce transmission. Well, that that's that they haven't said it in those words. No, but that's what that's what I that's what I believe, I believe they're saying. That's what the common sense reading and yeah. the checking of the meaning of the phrase tell us. Yeah, yeah. So so in on the so if we jump back a bit um, on the tenth of February, twenty twenty one. Ashley Bloomfield wrote a paper addressed to Chris Hipkins, and he said there, while we do not know yet the extent to which the vaccines prevent COVID-19 transmission, vaccination is expected to reduce transmission through reducing the severity of disease and therefore the risk of onward transmission. So he uses that same argument when he goes to the High Court in an affidavit um, in September of 2021. And he he says that, um, what does he actually say? Um, yeah, the, the reduction of symptoms such as coughing and sneezing will mean that there'll be a reduction in transmission. But now, even that, was, that, sorry, sorry. Well, well I, I was kind of, that stopped me in my tracks. That I was blown away by that because to me, that's high school debating team level argument. 
That's not our chief public health official going to the High Court in an affidavit to talk about the vaccine's ability to um, stop transmission. Because if I was on the other side of that high school debate, I would say, well, by reducing somebody's symptoms, you know, you could equally argue that you were going to make them more likely to transmit the disease because they might not know they're sick or they might think they've just got a mild cold and out they go to work or to university or to school and or to a concert. <laughs> and so that you can equally argue that a reduction of symptoms would contribute to the spread of the disease. And in actual fact, you know, there, there was actually a study published in September of 2021 where they looked at the viral load in the nasal pharyngeal cavity of um, different people and found that the highest viral load was actually recorded in asymptomatic vaccinated individuals. So that appears to be all they had. You cough and sneeze less. What was his exact phrase again? Can you read that to us? Well, I haven't got his exact phrase here. I've only sort of got my... Um, transcript of it, but I, I I could I could look it up. No, but just tell us what you've got. The, the reduction of symptoms such as coughing and sneezing reduces transmission. But when you quoted something he said in February, just before. Oh, in February, while yeah. we do not yet know the extent to which the vaccines prevent COVID nineteen transmission. Vaccination is expected to reduce transmission through reducing the severity of disease and therefore the risk of onward transmission. So that's saying nothing. It's that it's a journalistic trick of saying, oh, this may happen or this is expected to happen. Right? It's not. Of, you can say you could wrap anything around expected, can't you? Mm, mm. Yeah, exactly. So in February, he expected transmission not to occur because it would reduce symptoms. But as you're saying, that could have a opposite effect. Then when you jump to the advisory. And may. And may they're saying it doesn't stop transmission. Its characteristics mean that it cannot be used in the traditional sense of ring vaccination. And yet, the vaccine was mandated by law. People lost their jobs, lost their houses, lost their livelihoods on the basis that not only would this vaccine stop you getting COVID, it would stop the transmission. There's no other logic for having it mandated if it doesn't stop transmission, because it's the stopping of transmission that gives, if you like, the public benefit, not just the private benefit. That's right. Here's, here's the Wikipedia definition of ring vaccination. It is a strategy to inhibit the spread of disease by vaccinating those who are most likely to be infected. 
This strategy vaccinates the contacts of confirmed patients and people who are in close contacts with those patients. This way, everyone who has been or could have been exposed to a patient receives the vaccine, creating a ring of protection that can limit the spread of a pathogen. When you think of this, this is a scandal of scandals. Because this isn't, isn't a note sent off to a minister um, from a wayward um, doctor or advisor. This is the very group set up to advise government on COVID. Yes. The very group that is set up to advise the government on COVID say in their advice officially no basis to stopping transmission. I'm summarising. We don't need to go dwell on the point that they use this odd language or um, yeah. professional language. That's what it says. Mm. And yet government went and mandated it. Well, this is, um, we'll jump ahead a little bit, but here's another one that is gobsmacking. So this I, I look, was, I look just, just hang there, because like, oh. this is what hit me this morning, and it's still hitting me. <laughs> and I was jumping up and down to my wife. My kids were late to school, because I said, this is impossible. This can't happen. Isn't that how you feel? Well, not anymore. It, it's how I used to feel. But now I'm not desensitised to it. But, you know, I, I, I get more amazed when I do get shocked. Because <laughs> you think you're unshockable. Yeah, yeah. And it still happens. Well, that one shocked me. i got to tell you, and I'm sitting here some hours on, and I almost can't process it. I can't process it. I can't process how officials would write that. No, the advisory group would write that. Literally, in government, hundreds would read it. I'm well, not. Gonna, I don't know. Did they? No, I, do, do, I do. I do know because I know how government works. So you'd be the minister, and I would get reports, and I wouldn't read them necessarily, but my trusted advisors would, people that I have known for years, and trust literally with my career, would be scanning everything that would come across my desk and alerting me to any problem, right, at, at my daily meetings with them. Because there's no way a minister can read everything. I would be reading this report if I was Minister of Health, I've got to tell you that, because, you know, that's at that level, because it's the advisory group. But even if I didn't, hundreds of people across departments would have read that, and across ministers, because that report wouldn't just go to Chris Farfoy. 
Mm. Not one of them. The government then, in the most tyrannical display of power that I can think of, outside of constricting young men to go to war, did this tyrannical decision on the public of New Zealand to huge distress, and yet not one mm. person who knew it was... The, the transmission okay. one was, was funny, though, because I saw this piece fairly early on and I thought, wow, you know, that, that's a real smoking gun. But but I still couldn't get people when I was having, you know, my interactions with them to sort of see it for what it was because they said, well, it's still, it reduces transmission. It doesn't stop it, but it does reduce transmission. And one of my tricks <laughs> to formulate you know, my strategies was to listen to um, Sean Plunkett. Yeah. Because I oh, used yes, to listen. Because he was on I used board to with us. Absolute nonsense that he would spout and the, the, the rudeness with which he would interview people. And I'd pretend that I was them. And what would I say? And so thank you, Sean, because he really helped me sort of formulate and clear my thinking. And that's how I, I, I narrowed in on it comes down to this coughing and sneezing bit. That's that's all they've got. They, they're just saying <laughs> that it reduces transmission because it reduces the amount of coughing and sneezing. So you're not spraying the germs around. And I thought, well, that again, is a very high school argument because you could equally say more symptoms means less likely to isolate yourself and stay home because we all know, don't we, oh, how yes. we gave a hairy eyeball to anyone who was coughing and sneezing mm -hmm. back in 2021. You're like really giving them sort of dirty locks and going, you know, go home. So but we did, we did that when I was a kid at school. If someone was coughing and sneezing, you didn't want them to come to school. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so weird. if that's the level of, uh, you know, if, if there's more around evidence of reducing transmission, I'd really like to see it. But as far as I can find, it comes down to that. Unspeakable. So I'm mm. sorry to dwell on that because it's still so monstrous. Um, I actually can't take it on board that all this loss of jobs, loss of housing, loss of homes, divorces, families not talking, protests, river of filth, court cases, no basis to it. Mm. Well, it, it comes down, it really is, It's an, you should dwell on it because it's a really important one. Because, you know, back when they were putting all of the infrastructure around putting the orders in place, the Ministry of Justice told them that they could only limit the rights under the NZ Bill of Rights um, if it was going to reduce transmission. So there's more to this that you've uncovered. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, there's some efficacy stuff. I I missed this. You know, I talked about last time the Burback committee meetings that I used to watch and the documents that I used to read. Um, But when in September of 2021, when they were looking to get a booster approved, Pfizer submitted their documentation to the FDA's Burback committee. And... (laughs) They actually, so what they did, they when they did their initial trial, they had a vaccinated arm and an unvaccinated arm, about 18,000 people in each. And at some point, sort of around, I think it was around sort of February, March of 2021, they went, oh, our vaccine's been so amazing that because it's 95% effective, so we're going to unblind everybody and tell them whether they were vaccinated or not and then offer the vaccine to the people that didn't have it because we don't feel that it's difficult to withhold it from them because it's so fabulous. So I don't actually know how many of them took that up, but they were offered it. So when it came time to sort of look, they were still studying them. So when they came to um, apply for their booster, so they said that the initial arm that got the vaccine they had 70 cases per 1,000 person years of COVID over the time. And the initial lot that didn't get the vaccine, although some may have had it subsequently, although they've had it for a shorter amount of time, they had 51 cases per 1,000 years of COVID. So the vaccinated got more COVID And then the very last sentence says only three severe COVID cases were reported during the analysis period, all of which were among the study participants originally in the vaccinated arm. So not only did the vaccinated get more COVID, they also got more severe COVID. Without any need to have statistical analysis, at best you would say it makes no difference, or who knows, because you'd need some sophisticated statistics, it makes mm. you more likely to get sick. Mm. And, you know, we know that vaccine, um, what's it, vaccine-associated enhanced disease is, you know, in Pfizer's own words, an important unknown risk and always has been. It's in their management plan. So their their trial showed at best no efficacy and at worst negative efficacy. Mm. Yes. Day one. Well, yeah, this was September of 2021, so we're still pre-vaccine passes and pre-work um, mandates, oh, except for the border workers in New Zealand. Um, and this was publicly available, wasn't hidden, because anything that gets posted for the Verbat, um committee meeting uh, is there to see before the meeting happens. So I, I, I didn't pick this one up, I only bought it about two weeks ago and that was one of the things where it shocked me when I say I'm surprised when I'm shocked I was shocked when I saw that Um, again and that's in the United States of America that will yeah Verbeck is the FDA's um 
sort of like our MedSafe or not MedSafe, yeah, well, like our Mac, like our. Yeah. But yeah. like what I'm saying is this is in a very sophisticated and large political jurisdiction. Yeah, yeah. With, it's, all, uh, it's, with uh, all the yeah. checks and balances and fourth estate that you could imagine. Like I find you couldn't get it that you could get away with that in New Zealand, but to get away with it in the United States. Mm. And he and here you are, you know, little old New Zealand, and you missed it and you're apologizing for missing it, sort of thing. But people, thousands and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people knew. No one said a thing. As politicians and bureaucrats, wow, lied. There was no basis. There's no basis. Well, we'll get onto the safety in a minute, but there's no basis to saying it was effective. No basis to saying it would stop a transmission. No basis whatsoever. As you say, a high school student could see through it. Well, so the COVID technical advisory group. So January, so let's all We're back in New Zealand now. This is the New Zealand group. So so the end of January 2022. So that was the summer that, you know, everybody had to have vaccine passes to go places and, you know, People need vaccine passes because they need to know when they go into a cafe that, you know, the people around them are keeping them safe. So this is the COVID technical advisory group minutes of the 28th of January, 2022. So I'll, so quote, the traffic light system might not be fit for purpose, unquote. So then they start again, quote, gives people the impression it is safe to meet indoors at large gatherings if they have a vaccine pass. There is no mention of boosters. There is concern since young people were the last group to be vaccinated and will not be getting their boosters for another four months. This is the demographic that will be going to the large events with a false sense of security, which will accelerate the spread of Omicron, unquote. And the significance? Well, what they're saying here is their vaccine passes, A, weren't fit for purpose because of the length of time that they um, could safely inject people. And, but the efficacy was so short that they knew that people were walking around with their vaccine passes with a false sense of security and effectively making the disease spread faster, which is exactly... I get it, because what they... I would play devil's advocate, or they would say in their defence, oh, but we had this new variant, Omicron. Who knew? Well, you know, everyone. But... um. That defense doesn't work because they were lying to us. Because they're saying that this whole, just correct me if I got this wrong, Kathy. They're saying 
this whole vaccine pass is counterproductive in our terms, their terms, not ours, their terms, because it's giving a false sense of security because there's no security within it. Mm -hmm. Yet, if you didn't have the vaccine pass, you were a second-class citizen. That's right. And you'll remember this was... This was the time, remember, that sort of boosters, when they first came out, you know, you um, could have them only when you had had your primary course six months ago. And that's and the saying that's, is it, that it, was, it wasn't even working for six months. No, no. So in February 22, the meeting, the same meeting recorded that the the third vaccination, the booster, is not expected to last much longer than three months. So, so they're sort of, you know, it's all unfolding and then they're seeing that the efficacy, if any, um, or against the variant that they had at the time, looked to be about three months where you had, and then you had sort of either zero or negative e efficacy. Um, yet, yet the the data sheet which gave this thing provision of the terms of which this thing had provisional approval said the booster had to be at least six months after the primary course and it always said that it never changed until we got the bivalent and it got a new data sheet but the original formula that we had the vaccine the booster always had to be six months after completion of the primary course but so really what, what, what was happening, just let me understand this. I'm just for everyone, you're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And we're talking to Kathy Jameson, who's this wonderful researcher, tenacious researcher, we'll say. I think genius too, genius researcher. And we're just covering this off. You couldn't get your booster for six months for safety reasons, Kathy. The well, six month gap. that's what the, the manufacturer said. It had to be at least six months after the primary course. Okay. That was Pfizer's instructions. But the difficulty being that the efficacy of the vaccine was only three months. That must have been what they were seeing. They they recorded that in February of 2022 that the booster, the third vaccination, was not expected to last much longer than three months. So, so you had we, a three-month period where you were no different in ability to catch or spread COVID than the next person that was unvaccinated, possibly worse. Mm -hmm. And yet they couldn't give you a booster because the manufacturer's own sheet wouldn't allow you to. Well, no, they did, remember? And this oh, is what... I, I don't remember because I was... I was in bad shape. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, well, they, they, um, so in, I can't remember the dates now exactly, but it was around in January of 2022. So uh, when they were seeing all of this, they went, oh, no, we're going to open up the eligibility for boosters for those that want one um, at, th at four months after your primary course. And then that lasted a couple of weeks. And then they said, oh, we're going to open up the eligibility for those that want them for three months after your primary course. So that's what happened in New Zealand. But that was against the manufacturer's own yes. advice. Yes. yes. So it was always only eligibility. 
so if you wanted one, you could Got be it. eligible. But they never, they never, uh, the mandates, like the, the orders, always had this requirement to have the booster at 183 days after completion of your primary course, which is six months. They knew they couldn't mandate a booster for a shorter time period. They never changed that because that was, that was the present instructions. But there were people going around, and I know for a fact there were people that were told they had to have their booster for work purposes three months after their primary course, which was always never. It was never in the order. So there were people that were um, coerced to have more injections more frequently than was in the order. I know that happened. I can't imagine, even after going through COVID, that that happened. <laughs> I actually... Health professionals, advisory groups, civil servants, politicians, ministers. This is in front of them. Well, it's and it's still happening now because yes. if you think so, so those health workers that stayed in their jobs didn't want this these shots, but took them. They would have had them fifteenth of November and sort of the last few days of December, because that was what the order, I think, said. So those people would have worked for six months, and then unless they wanted to lose their jobs, they would have had to have their booster at the end of June, the beginning of July. So so that's the requirement now for Tafatu. So they would have had that. And now they'll, and here we are now. What are we now? Nearly the beginning of July, right? So nearly a year since. So it would have been happening exactly a year ago, all of that. So those people, according to these minutes of the um, COVID technical advisory group, would have had um, benefit, air quotes, from that vaccine for three months. So they're no more protected than the unvaccinated nurse that lost her job and is still trying to get back to work and can't. And again, this isn't some rogue document, doctor making an argument to government from within the system or from outside. This is the exact advisory group set up the preeminent group to advise government on what to do. And they did the opposite. This was in February 2022 when the parliamentary protest occurred. Mm. The protesters' entire point was exactly the advice of officials or experts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, the mm -hmm. parliamentary protesters were saying 
to parliament, to government, exactly what the government's advisors were saying. I'd never thought of that, but yes, you're right. Um, again, how do you, how, you must be sitting in your house, head, I mean, my head is going, exploding. I, I don't know how listeners are, are, are coping. Did, I mean, it was a conspiracy. It is a conspiracy. It's, oh. it's a conspiracy. In full view, once you get under the Official Information Act, the documents, the protesters were a hundred percent right. It was nuts. It was wrong. Not well, not because we have experts on our side opposing what the government is saying or doing. The government's own experts were opposing what the government was saying and doing, by implication. Mm. Have I well, made too big a jump? No, no. I, no, I don't think so. But I, I want to talk now, if we if we can move to safety, because we go, as, as per usual, we're going on a bit. You and I. Well, I'm, I, well, I'm I apologize to the listeners. I apologize to you because like I read it a week ago fast. I read it this morning to prepare, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, oh I know that. Oh, 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 oh. The safety bit's worse. Take us through it. Well, so there is this this document, which was a briefing document. Um Date does it have on it? So again, this has been released by OIA. Doesn't seem to have a date, but yeah, I think it just must for listeners, just for listeners, you're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We're talking to preeminent researcher Kathy Jamison. She's got her hands on official documents. This isn't, you know, Dr. P. Dunk from, you know, a university. This is the government's own advice from its experts which they told us, the Prime Minister and the Minister of Health told us they were absolutely reliant on following the science. The science they were relying on was what the protesters were saying. We've done transmission. We've done efficacy. And now we're doing safety. Take it away, Kathy. So this, this must have been... This document must be, doesn't have a date on it, but it must be around the time, sort of October of 2020, when they were looking at signing the very first agreement with Pfizer, um, the, the, the agreement that we, you know, don't know the terms of. Um, so this is a briefing document around the indemnity that um, had to be signed and um, so the the title of it is request that the minister of finance give an indemnity in favor of pfizer and biotech under section 65 zd of the public finance act 1989 so in 
in this briefing document, which is signed of the copy I've got, is only signed by one person. It's got two places for signatures. Now, the person that signed it was the De De Deputy Director General, um, System Strategy and Policy, Delegate of Chief Delegate of the Chief Executive of the Ministry of Health. So this person's signing in lieu of Bloomfield. And the other person who hasn't signed it is um, Delegate of the Chief Executive of MB. So the things that are said in there, uh, the indemnity was sought by Pfizer because they were developing it in clinical trials that are less likely than non-accelerated trials to detect uncommon adverse events or possible contraindications. The health so, so, so just, I'm, I'm very sorry to do this. You okay, no, no, go ahead. What it's saying is Pfizer needs immunity from causing illness or death, right? Needs to be legally protected. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yep. the first reason Pfizer says we need protection from any adverse effect of this because, say it again? Well, because it, it's saying, um, it's saying they have accelerated the clinical trials, which we knew, yes. but, but that argument was always pushed back against when a person like me and, said it. And they say we've had to accelerate the trials, and that means, in their words, what? That it's they're less likely to detect uncommon adverse events or possible contraindications. So when the government signed the contract for the Pfizer vaccine and went on to mandate it, they gave immunity to Pfizer because Pfizer said, understand this, we can't be sure it's safe because we've accelerated the trials. And the government signed that knowing it couldn't be guaranteed as safe by the manufacturer's own words. Yes? Mm. Yep. Then there's the next clause. So the health risks of COVID-19 vaccines are less clear because no coronavirus vaccine has ever been successfully developed before. So because we've never had a vaccine for coronavirus, we're not sure what this is going to mean well, long term. I don't think that's what they're saying. I think okay. they're saying that they've tried before and it wasn't successful. The ah. health the team vaccines are less clear because no coronavirus vaccine has ever been successfully developed before. Like what was ah, the it's not developed before. They've developed the them before, but they've never been successful. Yeah, so that H1N1 or whatever it was, the one that gave everybody narcolepsy. Well, not everybody, sorry. The one that gave some people narcolepsy um, and was withdrawn, that was the swine flu, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. So maybe, I don't know, perhaps that is the sort of thing they're talking about. I'm not sure. But to me, that reads like they have tried but 
haven't been successful. But the next one's the kicker. The next one's the kicker. So hold on to your hats. This vaccine candidate is an RNA vaccine. Due to the relative newness of the platform and the truncated clinical trials, which means a reduced ability to identify rare or long-term side effects, we are unlikely to want to immunise the entire population using solely this vaccine candidate. <laughs> and they went on and did exactly that. Mm. The Herald. Which much gusto. School principals. TV personalities. And then the mandates. Read that, read that clause again. This vaccine candidate is an RNA vaccine. Due to the relative newness of the platform and the truncated clinical trials, which means a reduced ability to identify rare or long-term side effects, we are unlikely to want to immunise the entire population using solely this vaccine candidate. That's the government and Pfizer in their agreement. Well, no, no, this is a briefing document. Oh, sorry. Jointly signed or jointly, somewhere there must be a signed copy. Um, but basically by representatives who are representing the chief executives of MB and the Ministry of Health. And then there's another one, isn't there? One more. Um, what does that one say? Oh, yeah. RNA vaccines like B and T162 have not previously been approved for human use in New Zealand and will require a careful risk-benefit assessment as part of the regulatory approval process. So we talked about that last time, didn't we? The fact yes. that um, in August of 2022, a OIA revealed that no New Zealand agency had done a risk-benefit assessment on these vaccines, apart from the one that was done in very early in 2021 prior to the consent being granted and that one came out unclear but at no point during sort of all of 2021 or through to August 2022 did any New Zealand agency attempt another one according to the OIA that I've got which if is, you were if you were a doctor and you gave the, that exact advice to a patient, you lost your registration. You were a conspiracy theorist, and you were publicly vilified. Correct? Yes. To this day, doctors' careers have been ended. They still can't get registration. They can't work. 
that's still vilified for saying yeah. exactly that. Yeah. Explain to me again the context of this document. Like, what was this document serving to do? Well, I, I only sort of have it in isolation. So, because um, it's it's come out of an OIA, so I've, but the Grant Robertson has signed these indemnity notices, and I've I've seen two two one signed in October of twenty twenty, and one signed in um, late February of twenty twenty one. So. All I know um, is this this was a sort of a, a document that around the indemnities. Um, so the context of it, I guess it goes with the um, the contract itself, but uh, because I don't know anything about that contract, nobody does, apart from the people who were privy to it. Um, I don't really, I can't really talk to you too much about about the context of it and where it sits, but it has an annex that is completely redacted, which is the binding term sheet. And that's where the binding term sheet, maybe this is the Pfizer contract itself because there's a sign for on behalf of Pfizer, Inc., and then sign for on behalf of the Sovereign and Right of New Zealand acting through the Director-General of the Ministry of Health. So that's not been signed, that part. So the bit that I took all those quotes out of that I just read to you was from this... Um, sort of briefing document that um, went to everybody, I suppose, that was going to be involved in the signing of it. We don't sound so nutty now, do we? No. Well, I, I don't think we ever sounded nutty at all. But, no. um, you know, there was certainly um, some, you know, certainly some some effort put into making people who was saying these things early on, sound nutty. I mean, the, the piece around the doctors, you know, I sort of liken it to, because what used to really annoy me was hearing the likes of, you know, Nikki Turner or anyone else saying, you know, if you want advice on your COVID vaccine, you know, go and um, talk to your doctor. And I thought, well, what we've got going on, to use sort of a like a sheep yard analogy, is you know, when they flick that little gate <laughs> where <laughs> all the sheep yards and sheep go one way or go another, they basically had that gate locked open. So if we, if the gate sort of is the risk-benefit discussion, they had that gate locked so that all the sheep went to the benefit yard. Because if you went to see your doctor, your doctor had their gate locked. Yes. They couldn't tell you about the risks. They could only tell you about the benefits. So there wasn't really any point going to see your doctor because your doctor couldn't, unless they were very, very brave 
and willing to risk their license have an honest conversation with you. No. And, and the people who were actually vaccinating, it was legislated out when they sort of gave them those vaccination vaccinators permission to vaccinate people. They left out the clause that's usually in that says they have to know about the the disease and and the risks of the vaccination. Yes. So there was no requirement for those people to have that knowledge. So they couldn't give it to you either. So the only place you could really get it was from, you know, a doctor that was prepared to risk all or by doing your own research. Like reading. Mm. And you look back on it and you think, well, if we were in an emergency scenario, bar for what was arguably commercially sensitive, and even that's a big question mark, you would release everything because you're following the science. So all the advice that the government was getting, such as you've got now, should have been released on the day the day the decision was made on its basis. So you could see the basis for it. They couldn't release their advice because if their advice was released, no one would have got vaccinated. I mean, if you had a functioning media, (laughs) right, and you release this advice, who on earth would ever have got vaccinated? So they had to hide it against the law, which is the official information law. All information is to be made public bar for statutorily stated reasons, which are quite tight. I'd go as far as to say, why did anybody even buy this product? Yes, exactly. Because, Because... It didn't, you know, the the signs were there right from the beginning. Why hasn't there been a whistleblower? Oh, I don't know. And here's another thing, Kathy. When they went to court on multiple times, they never allowed discovery, clearly. Hmm. Because if an opposing lawyer had discovered those documents, the government's case was dead. So the Solicitor General must have sat on documents, surely. I mean, it's unbelievable. I wonder about I wonder about that a lot. You know, why has these things, why have they not made their way? Isn't it a good opportunity now for Mr. Luxon and Mr. Seymour, the two opposition leaders, to climb off their very high horse that they climbed upon, God knows why, and say, we've just seen these documents. We are horrified. Well, 
if they did that, it'd be dramatic politics. And it would be true. Because these other documents, they've been released officially. They're not made up. And they'd say, we took the Labour government at its word. We never demanded to see the documents. We realise now we should have. They would destroy this government and win the next election and there'd be transparency and truth and a proper inquiry. But they well, won't. Well, I mean, they they've won't. had this opportunity for a long time. You know, they, they won't. They've got, they've got the resources, more resources than I've got, and I've found it. So they're and either on a very high horse because they've got the perfect excuse to get off it, right? Haven't they? Well, you know, this is this is the thing. There's so much information there that could be used to have an absolute landslide victory. Yes, I mean, and it's, it's not being utilised. And I mean, I'm not going to sort of waste my time trying to no. figure out why not. But no. why not? Well, why not? You, it's the biggest policy ever undertaken in New Zealand, the biggest tyranny ever undertaken in New Zealand, the most controversial thing in so many ways with that parliamentary protest, for sure, the most consequential or immediately consequential thing, some policies are bad and their bad effects come up years later, but this was immediately consequential to a great many New Zealanders, for their health and livelihood. And it was done at breakneck speed without due process or the normal process of decision-making in government, policy-making. And the documents show that the decision was contrary to the advice being received, contrary to the science, and contrary to what the manufacturer itself was saying and discovered in their own trials and reported. Mm. And I'll go a little further, feeling my way here. The only people that were right were the doctors who spoke out and the protesters, not just those that turned up to Parliament, but those who objected to the policy. Mm. And if you go down the conspiracy theories, every one of them was ticked by the advice the government received. I mean, if you know what I mean, not necessarily that there's a worldwide conspiracy on this, but the conspiracy theory that this isn't going to work, you're going to need more boosters, you're going to have mandates, yada, yada, yada. It's not going That's to do right. this. Yeah. Every bit of that, the government's advice affirmed. Mm. Mm. Well, and I mean, 
if you're going to do a risk-benefit analysis, if they've said that the booster, you know, is unlikely to last longer than three months, well, when you look at the sort of um, things that are being reported to them by their own citizens through CALM, and they've, you know, they the full reports have ended up being in VIAs, and I have sent you that file for the 17 to 25-year-olds to have a look at. Um, when, or when you look at that, you just have to eyeball down it and see what's happening and how, how, how temporally related to the, the shot it was. And if you look and go, okay, well, for three months protection from COVID, would I risk it? I mean, it's a resounding no. Can you explain for listeners what that VAERS report shows for that age group? Or do well, you have there to see are, it? I mean, you, you, you do sort of really have to see it. But for that age group, we have got five deaths. So that's 17 to, to 20. Five and I can't, I haven't got, um, I must not, I haven't got the date of death for one of them. But the four that I had, the days, the time between their injection and their death was 10 days, 13 days, and two days, and five days. And this is what Pfizer has had to report to the American VAERS system because Pfizer was aware of them. We learned that in our last interview. And so we actually have the adverse effects date relative to the date when they got the jab, which we don't have in the New Zealand data, as I understand it, Kathy. That's right, we don't. And what you're saying is this is a very small subset of the adverse effects reported in New Zealand because these are the ones that Pfizer became aware of and had to report to the American system. And it's a very small subset of what actually happened. Well, yes. I mean, the under-reporting... Um, I mean, it's not a... Yeah. Then you say, if something happens in a couple of weeks from getting a jab, that's worth researching 17 to 29 year olds typically don't die and yet well, yeah, I mean, Matt Shelton I heard Matt Shelton um, and I've talked to Alison Goodwin myself and I, uh, both of them are saying not of the sort of things that we're seeing um, you know them, them die of in these reports is, you know, they don't generally die of those things. Speechless, isn't it? Mm. Mm. I just feel like howling, crying, beating my head against a wall, feeling sad and lost and bewildered. Um, and I mean, the, I mean, the, 
the what have we got here? Type one diabetes. So these are the injuries. Onset five days after the injection. Um, pancreatitis. Onset one day after. Um, this one's uh, I mean, I'm just. I mean, and there's three hundred of these that I've got for that age group, seventeen to twenty-five. Um, well, from the VIA system, but they are yeah. New Zealand reports. Yeah. And and again, they are a small subset. I mean, in the um in the page that you know, I say that um th this roughly correlates to the um amount of deaths and the amount of serious reports that were reported in November of 2022. Um, but we know that the serious reports have increased by 350% since they did that because of that OIA I talked about last time. Yes. Can so you, it's not. Can you write that up, Kathy, for us and we get it published and spread it around? Sure. Uh, you'd, yeah, you'd need to give me a, a slightly um, more. Um, sort of direction as to what specifically you want written up, but absolutely I can. I will. And we will get it out through Reality Check Radio or wherever um, and give it, because hearing it is one thing, reading it helps because it's extraordinary. Mm. Have you got any more bombshells for us this morning? Um, I've always got a few no, I don't need I don't need you to have any more bombshells. You've bombshelled me enough. But I'm just saying, is there anything else that you need? Because we'll have you back on, obviously, when you next uncover your thing. I'm just don't wanting to shut you off yeah. and have no, no, well, I, I, I guess all I would say is to anybody that's still facing coercion to get a vaccine and they don't want it. Yes. In you know, there, there are, um, and, and, you know, if you, particularly, I mean, we're going to get, as Rodney has just said, we're going to get this sort of available, made available to people. But if anyone's got, you know, particularly if you've got an urgent requirement, you know, there are lots of really good questions that you can ask. Yes, well, um, send, if you want to contact Kathy, text me at 2057, uh, email me at inbox at radio. It would be very, very handy just now if there's anyone in a position and out of their goodness of heart, I know Kathy won't say this, but to give her some support because she's done all this at some cost to herself and her family and it's crunch time. But this is so significant and you can contact me, 2057 text, email me, inbox at realitycheck.radio. And if you are being pushed, or your child or grandchild, or anyone you know is being pushed to take a vaccine that they don't want, text me, email me, and I can get it to Kathy and she can get a response. Because the entire thing is wrong and dangerous. 
and a monstrous crime has been committed here. And it's been hidden. And it's been hidden not because government didn't have the information. They had it. What we've reported here today isn't what we think. It isn't what opponents of the policy think. It's what Pfizer and the government's very advisors were saying before these policies were implemented. That's what we've been reporting here today. That's what's so shocking about it. And what Kathy's picking up in Calm and Veers are the tragic medical consequences that are now all too readily becoming apparent. So do text us, do email, email us. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Reality Check Radio where we've run out of superlatives to describe oh. Kathy Jamieson and we're almost rendered speechless by what she's revealed and what has gone on. Whatever you thought was going on, this shows it was worse. Kathy, thank you for everything that you've done and do. Thank you for thank standing. You. Thank you for standing up for people, and thank you for your tenacity and your analytical ability. And even where I try and push you a little bit to go beyond your data, you pull me back. So it's a very sober analysis. It's not hysterical, is it? No, not in public. <laughs> <laughs> on that note I, I had my moments <laughs> on that note we will thank Kathy on everyone's behalf you're on Reality Check Radio Real Talk with Rodney Hyde what a pleasure that was Kathy Jameson truth bomb after truth bomb is what they say isn't it we've had it thank you so much you're listening to Real Talk on RCR Reality Check Radio